Hey, this is Michael Emery. Thanks for tuning into the Slow Baja. This podcast is powered by Tequila Fortaleza, handmade in small batches, and hands down, my favorite tequila. Slow Baja is brought to you by the Baja XL Rally. The Baja XL is the largest and longest amateur off-road rally on the Baja Peninsula. It's 10 epic days, LA to Cabo to LA. Check it out at BajaXL.org. Michael Emery and I am slow Baja and I'm delighted to be on a Zoom call today with Tim and Kelsey Huber. They're in Gillette, Wyoming. They are overlanders extraordinaire with Dirt Sunrise driving a 1995 FJZ. It's an FJZ 80, right? Uh, FZJ, but yeah. I mean, FZJ. I always call them FJ80s, <laughs> but those Land Cruiser nerds, they just need to know exactly what it is. <laughs> I tell you, they won't stop. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we can't jump into Land Cruiser nerddom yet, but we'll get there. Hey, you're two ordinary people living an extraordinary life is, uh, is what you say. So let's just jump into it. How did the whole thing get started? Uh, you know, we, we were just like everybody else, uh, off-roading as much as we can, exploring. Um, you know, I, I, I just felt like over the years I wanted to, we never want to end the trips, right? Not that anyone does, but we're always looking for ways to make the trips a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And, um, you know, I kind of got interested in going, I think my first international trip was probably Baja going down for like Habitat for Humanity or something as a kid, you know, and school trips. And then uh, Buddy and I built a race car, started racing. And then it was like, I don't know, we just wanted more of that. And since we met, we, we just tried to make the trips longer and longer and kept saving and saving until we realized, are we ever going to just go like we see these other people doing this? Are we going to go or are we going to the people who just talk about it? Yeah, we always had, you know, these dreams of like, oh, that would be so cool. And then we kind of talked and we're like, well, why not? Why not do them? Why not try for them? Because um, we were just working, you know, regular office jobs and dreaming of this kind of lifestyle and just decided, let's go for it. Let's try it. I think, too, it, it kind of aided us. Like we I, I've taught it uh, over the expos. Some friends started that like in I don't know what it was like 12, 13 years ago. And so I've been teaching there since it started. And so you meet all these really great people and then they go off and do their trips and they come back and they're like, yeah, so this last year I was in Africa and then I went to Australia and you're like, cool. And you're happy for them, but there's a little party that's going, <laughs> damn it, when am I going to go? So that was, that was eating at us too, I think. And so I think when the fear that we may never go, like we would just get more comfy and, you know, keep working and keep working was greater than the fear of what'll happen if we quit our jobs and, you know, have no health insurance and go for it. When the fear of not doing it was greater than the fear of going, we kind of just looked at each other and went, all right, when you're out, let's, let's go nuts and sell everything we can and do this. And so that was a Genesis one year. You gave yourself a year to um, make it all happen. Yeah. yeah. And we told nobody, I mean, even close friends, I think some were a little bit like, Hey, why wouldn't you confide me? It's like, look, I didn't want to profess. We are, going on this trip and we're going to go to the tip of South America. Even when we were halfway through the trip, we still were not saying like publicly, like I'd really like to get all the way to Ushuaia or Patagonia because I, we just didn't know, you know, if the engine blew tomorrow, we wanted to feel like we could just turn around and come home and go back to work if that's what we needed to do. So we just kind of quietly sold things off and we've always been the types that on weekends and holidays, if we can do something that earns us money, we'll do that over a trip. And so we were always doing anything we could, you know, buying old dirt bikes and 
cleaning them up and flipping them or uh, working side jobs. Uh, you know, all those side jobs have become our only jobs now. So now we have like seven side jobs that have become what we do when we're, when we're not on the trip, trying to pay for it and save for the next leg. So, um, yeah. Hey, Kelsey, how did you two meet? Uh, we actually met at Overland Expo, which is really random. I was working for Overland Journal and I was uh, happened to be at the event running their booth and doing all that. And Tim has been instructing there since the beginning. So I noticed him and he actually noticed me and we didn't meet, I think, for another year. In a and sea of men, Tim actually noticed you. Yeah. <laughs> right think, crazy I, think, I know it's like it's like wolverines looking at her i think you know the one woman walking around overland expo but i definitely noticed her and i was yeah i was shocked to find out uh i think it was a year after we'd been dating that we had talked and found out that it was actually the year before we met that both of us noticed the other one and started asking questions like who is that yeah and then we we met uh at expo at like a vendor's party and uh, Tim said hi, and that was about that was, that was about all we yeah. said to each other. Hey, and then we started, <laughs> uh, I think, talking through Facebook maybe a month or two after that. Yeah. Uh, in just checking out your YouTube videos, you kind of got on a deep dive on that. Tim, you readily admit to being an introvert. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, even though Kelsey's doing all the voiceovers and stuff, um, I think she's kind of the same way. And, and, and the way we met at this, this party that uh, one of the vendors puts on every year consistently, I'd never gone to it because you're working all day, you're tired. And, and be, again, being an introvert, I'm like, let's go sit around a fire with four good friends and drink some beers and hang out. And so neither of us would even go to that. And I think- I think it was the first time it. both of us actually went to a party. We got dragged along and we're like, okay, just for a little while ago. And then- <laughs> <laughs> Well, you did it. You, you got together, met, managed to figure that out. You've got the Land Cruiser and you managed to get rid of everything and actually get the whole thing going. So tell me about the, the, the why. why, you know, I get it. You were doing it. You saw folks doing it, but you did it. Why? Yeah, we've had someone say to us, this is, this is something that people just talk about. They don't actually do. And I think that was one of the biggest impetuses for us to actually do it because, you know, we talked about doing a lot of stuff and we never actually did anything about it. And so it just felt like life was kind of happening to you. And so taking control of that and going like, I'm going to try for something. The scariest part is, you know, what if I fail at something that I'm really trying at? Or what if I don't love this thing that I've idolized and dreamed of for so long? Um, but I think for us, or at least for me, it was very important to kind of reach for those dreams and go for it. Yeah, I think also a theme of sort of since we had met is pushing each other. You know, it's like, okay, what what sport or activity or trip have you always wanted to do that you haven't? Or, you know, the whole the whole idea of buying like the, the FJ40 that we bought with mice living in it. Like financially, that's too scary for me. Uh, you know, for me, like during the last the last economic downturn. I don't know if we're headed for another one or not yet, but the one, the one around 2009 or whatever, I pretty much lost everything, was laid off five different times as companies went under. I was working for, I was working for banks. So of course they were going under, but I, from that point forward was like, not, not full, I'm sure as bad as the uh, great depression era savers, but I was like, you know, if I could get a dollar, I was like putting it in a mattress. I was so paranoid, you know, from that downturn and from being you know, foreclosed and all that kind of stuff and, and basically starting over from scratch. Um, and so I, I, I think I was 
too conservative and too scared to do anything that was too wild. I loved camping. I loved going to Baja. That was all great. Mountain bikes, dirt bikes, all that. But anything bigger was like, nah, nah, I couldn't do that. That's too risky. And since we met, it was kind of a theme that we'd be like, let's go do this. Let's go do that. Let's head to this place or, you know, and so it just seemed like a natural progression that like, look, what if you did say to yourself the things that you're too scared to do normally, you just said, no, I'm just going to do it. You know, it seems crazy. It seems like too much. It seems like it's not going to work out. What if we just did those things until, until they don't work out? And then maybe we, you know, pump the brakes a little and, and uh, be more safe or conservative. But so far we've just continued going for it. Uh, and I think because you know, you have a partner in it, it's not nearly as scary. You just try something and, and go for it and it works out. And even if it doesn't, uh, at least there's two of you there to kind of figure out what to do next. Yeah. So let's start with the beginning. When did you, when did you sell it all and load up the Land Cruiser and drive away? So I think when we kind of decided it was a year out was 2017. Yeah. And then we decided, okay, we're, you know, we, our last paycheck would be next year's Overland Expo West. So let's work that, you know, we were in Phoenix, Arizona, it takes place in Flagstaff. So we figured that's a perfect time. And, you know, we'll leave right from the expo or whatever. Uh, so we just started selling and, you know, we, Kelsey became an expert in searching Craigslist and finding mm -hmm. deals on, uh, you know, dirt bikes or whatever it was that we sort of, anything we had a good knowledge of that we thought we could buy, you know, get running better and, and flip. And then we were selling furniture, um, selling, we had some old motorcycles and stuff and we just fixed up everything we could and sold it. And then we left pretty close to our target. It was like two weeks later, I think, because yeah. we had nearly burnt the truck to the ground. So when we cut the roof off the truck, which is a little bit terrifying, we glued on this, you know, epoxy or whatever, this, this pop top on, we were welding, uh, closed some holes on the top, or my buddy actually was TIG welding. And from outside, <laughs> we heard, uh, you know, fire, fire. And it had caught the insulation on the pop top on fire and the whole thing was uh, burned to the ground. The, the tent material on the side was on fire. Was and terrifying. so I jumped in my it. Face. You can't see my face, but that, that feeling in my stomach was just like, Oh, there it goes. Everything. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was completely that it was, it was, you know, I think at this point we'd finally told a bunch of friends. So now it's like, you're, you're going right. It's official. And I, I don't know if I'd given notice or not, but I mean, it is happening and we're going on this trip and the thing is burning in front of me and you know sure sure the, this is the one time the fire extinguisher is not close or it's not uh, I don't think if it had a charge in it or something so I'm just glad I had a baseball cap on because when I jumped inside the truck to start I just had a bucket of water and I was throwing it uh, up onto the ceiling trying to get it to stop it's raining black you know molten plastic on me and so I got all these burns and stuff, but thankfully the baseball cap kept me from getting my face burned. <laughs> and so that was the beginning of our trip. I mean, like what a, what a dumpster fire. And yet, you know, we, we just took like an hour to be a little crushed and then we're like, okay, so here's what we need to do. We need to order this. We need to order that. Kelsey was learning how to sew better. We re-sewed in the tent, all the pieces that burnt, we re-insulated it. We, you know, fixed everything we had to do, uh, put seat covers over the sort of melted seats and, and, uh, you know, I think it was about a two week setback and yeah. we went, okay, like we cannot let anything stop us. Wow. Poco a poco, as they say in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you, uh, you left 2017, drove out of Arizona, correct? 
2017, we decided to go a year out. So we left 2018. Uh, what would it have been? June? Think, yeah, probably end of May or early June. Yeah. So we, we went and we basically camped in the mountains, um, you know, outside San Diego and crossed over into Tecate and, uh, and just, it was happening. It was crazy. The first night camping in the mountains, uh, instead of going down to the beach right away, we decided to go up into the mountains uh, and kind of run that I'm not even sure what the mountains are called there. Actually, I can't even think of it, but kind of up where the Baja uh, 500, 1000 course goes up in the pine trees there. We camped there because it was hot summer and just kept making our way along that ridge. And it just, it didn't set in, I don't think for at least a week that this wasn't like, when do we turn around and go home? You know, when do we need to be back at work? And there was no date. Wow. And, and that was, uh, that was getting into warm weather for that, that beginning part of the, the trip. You, yeah. uh, it, it just got warmer from there, I'm assuming. Did you did you figure that in or coming from Arizona, everything else is cooler, so it doesn't matter? <laughs> Almost that. I mean, and that's one of the reasons we stuck to the pine trees. So I just did all those pine trees. Then we hit Valley de Trinidad and went up to Mike Sky Ranch. And then we did, uh, what's that, Simpson Hill. And we just kept, stepped, stayed high. And then the mountains just south of there, I probably can't remember off the top of my head because it's been a couple yeah, of years now. But you go up to the top and you're at, uh, you know, eight or 9,000 feet. And it was actually cold and it was wonderful. We had a mountain lion in camp at night. It was a little terrifying. We started, <laughs> we started camping with the tailgate and the hatch closed after that. <laughs> but uh, that was amazing. And then when we went down to the beach, you know, of course, on the drive there, it got hot. And our goal was just don't leave the Pacific Ocean. So the whole way south, we didn't do any Sea of Cortez side that time just yeah. because yeah, it was so hot. So hot. And, hot. but as you know, as, as long as you're right on the beach. And so we would like, we aired down the tires and just ran the beach for days at a time. And then when you of course had to go inland, to do some cliffs or something, yeah, it'd be 110 and you just go, all right, back to the beach. Come on. And so since we're talking slow Baja here, let's get into a little bit of the, the Pacific side. What did you see? What, what sticks with you now? You've driven all the way to the tip of Tierra del Fuego and back, and you're in Wyoming now. So those are a lot of miles since you started in Baja. But what did you see in Baja that stays with you? Um, for us, I think, you know, I guess because I grew up going to Baja a bunch, I know the rules sort of, you know, the, you know, where you can get fuel, you know, sort of the laws and everything, how everything works. So it's really comfortable. So for us, it's neat because it's, that international destination where you're on the beach, but no one's coming up on the beach and telling you to leave or um, as long as you know where you're at anyways, you know. So for us, it was just those sections of beach with no one there, you know, where you, you know, you, you're looking at the Baja Atlas or at, at uh, aerial, you know, stuff if you have uh, a decent cell signal and you're just finding your way to beaches you've never had the time to get down to that take a day or two. So for us, I think, just those desolate beaches where you don't even see tire tracks and you just hang out and go, well, this one's ours, you know, and then you run into some locals and they're always so nice. And so that was just the theme of our whole, our whole Baja trip this time yeah. was snorkeling and swimming around and, uh, and just trying to find those beaches with nobody around. And when you did, you just hung out for a little while. Yeah. I think there's such like a wildness to Baja and I love the landscapes cause I love the desert and I love the beach and it kind of combines those two for me and the people are so nice the food is good like tim said it's it's a pretty easy country as far as international travel goes to travel through um and by the way we consider baja its own country yeah yeah totally <laughs> baja baja Sonora, maybe. Like, yeah. <laughs> mainland mexico is amazing too but the beaches there you know most beaches you know there's a there's a gate somebody wants a, a, some money not always uh sometimes you get down and it's free but then there's a bunch of other 
uh, surfers there and stuff, which is also fine, great. But we, we realized how special Baja is on this trip because even South America, uh, where you think it would be desolate or you think, at least we did, you know, that we'd find these long stretches of empty beaches. Usually there's a hut, you know, a hut every couple of miles or something. There's people living all along the beaches. And sure, there are some remote ones, but in general, it's funny, we'd find ourselves in these beautiful exotic places and going, God, I wish we could just uh, head over to Baja real quick, get some tacos and go to the beach. And so yeah, people would ask us all on the trip. So you've seen so many places. What is, what's your favorite? And it always came back to Baja for me because even though it's so close to home, there's just something so special about Baja and, you know, maybe it is because it feels easier or safer than a lot of the countries did, but I think it's just the wildness and it's, it, there's adventure to be had there, I think. Well, I think it's the ability to get remote too yeah. for us. And so I know, it, I think people would sort of roll their eyes and go, you know, oh, but you've been to Patagonia and you've been to the Bolivian jungle or whatever. And it's like, no, no, those are all amazing, every single one of them. But there is something about, um, you can't mistake distance from home for coolness, you know? And so if we're honest, I really still feel like that's my favorite place uh, possibly on earth. Yeah. Yeah, I say it's a desolation on our doorstep. Yeah. yeah. And especially if you get into some dirt there, you know, you really don't see very many people. No. And yeah. you can get onto the dirt pretty quickly. I, I would imagine you were on dirt pretty soon after you crossed the border in Tecate, probably found some tacos and then said, okay, time to get off the uh, paved road here and, and get to where our, our truck feels comfortable. Exactly. Yeah. And for us, you know, our truck is somewhere, you know, it's more comfortable than guys doing it on motorcycles but it's a lot less comfortable than people doing it maybe in like an RV or a sliding camper. Mm -hmm. And so we, we found Baja played to the truck strengths, you know, where we added a, an auxiliary tank and a lot more water storage. So, you know, for the trip in general, but in remote places like that, or like in Argentina, there's this Altiplano area that's kind of the high desert. And we found in these really remote areas of the trip, our truck was shining the most because you can go, cool, we're good for at least one full week. Let's go as remote as we can. And the goal is just to be off the beaten path and have our own space in the world, so to speak. So um, Baja played to that really well. So that's what was so neat. And then, of course, after that, you love coming into town and getting tacos and, and hanging out. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the modifications you made to your truck. We can geek out. Um, I'm sure there's a few Land Cruiser aficionados listening here um, just because, you know, I drive the old FJ40 down to, to Baja. But yeah. tell, me, tell me what modifications you made to your truck before you left. So we've had this truck for like uh, 10 years. So I had it before we met. And I, I you know, the, the main stuff, just the normal off-roading stuff, like front bumper, rear bumper with a couple of swing outs. Um, you know, I re-geared it, put some bigger tires on it, and then some really nice shocks. And, and that was about it. And, you know, I'd sleep in a platform on the back. And frankly, I could have done, we could have done the whole trip with it set up like that, mm -hmm. with the fridge underneath the bed, like we used to have it. Um, but for the trip, I had my eye on one of these pop tops. A guy made seven of them uh, with one prototype, so really like six production ones. And I knew they'd all been sold, you know, five, six years ago, and he had gone on with his life and had stopped making them. And so the chances of finding one were really small. And then I posted on some forums, and lo and behold, a guy shoots me a message in Canmore, Canada, near Banff, and says, You know, I've got one. My truck's all rusted out, but the top's aluminum. So uh, but I'm going to get a new 80 series and I don't need the pop top because I'm not going to be traveling in it anymore. So if you want to buy it, come on up and get it. So uh, he had changed his mind a couple of times. And then with the final time when he said, you know, okay, I'm definitely going to sell it. 
I said, okay, I'm on my way. What? And so we did a, was it 30 hour, 28 oh, it was hour miserable, yeah. drive and we had to do it over weekend. We still had jobs. So and it on, was in January, I think. <laughs> yeah. So January we get in the truck and 80 series people know this little firewall. There's a little bushing in the firewall that keeps the steering from having too much slop in it. And that, that had blown out on mine. So you've got kind of a wonky, I think my FJ 40 has better steering yeah. than this hat on this drive anyways. And so we, we headed up to Canada in January and we had to get it all done on a three-day weekend. So we uh, drove up there straight, you know, got a hotel somewhere near the border, woke up at, you know, we slept for what, three hours, then yeah. woke up, kept driving, uh, couldn't get the truck to even stay warm enough to run properly. So we were trying to block off the radiator like the semis do up there. <laughs> I mean, we were so, we had every bit of clothing on. We're so, so Arizona, Southern yeah, California totally people. That, for how completely and amazingly cold it could be up there. Yeah. We're in the truck wearing everything we have and we go. So that means if the truck breaks down, <laughs> we die. <dead. laughs> so we got, we got to this guy's garage and uh, pulled it inside and turn on one of those little jet sort of uh, heaters and, uh, started cutting, got a jigsaw out and cut the roof off my truck, threw it in his side yard and started gluing the new top on. And, you know, something like 18 or 19 hours of straight work and lots of coffee. And we were leaving and, you know, we didn't even have time to like go get a coffee with the guy or say, you know, we said thanks obviously immensely, yeah. but you know, we had just cut the top off the truck. And then you look at the tube of Sikaflex, which is the epoxy we used <laughs> and sure, yeah. a lot of these folks used. And it's like six days to properly cure at 70, above 70 degrees. We're, like, and we're just like, well, we got a ratchet strap. So if the top <laughs> flies off as we're going south, we'll have a convertible and then we'll just ratchet strap it on. This is totally fine. And uh, it worked out. But I mean, that drive up and back were more dangerous than most of the trip, I think, through the Americas over the yeah. years because it was just too crazy. Too many hours, not enough sleep, too many miles to get done. And then I, we arrived at I think at four or 5 a.m. on the work day. And so I just parked the truck, got in maybe the 40 or I think we had a Prius at the time and went to work. And then I didn't get anything done those next couple <laughs> of days at work, but I was there and they had no idea what we'd been up to. So, Wow. Now, you know, I've driven a lot. I've done a lot of dumb all night drive kind of things. Wow. <laughs> Never <laughs> involving. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it. Fabricating against the clock and freezing uh, temperatures, but wow. So Kelsey, you've, um, sounds like you roll with it pretty well. Yeah. A lot of times I'm the, the impetus of She's like, yeah, let's, we should do this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'd say I'm just as much part of wanting to do all this stuff. Yep. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I'm not pushing on a lot of this stuff. I'll be like, that'd be nice if we had a pop top. And I start showing her some photos and she's like, if we can get our hands on that, we should do that. So it's like, okay, well, here we go. <laughs> uh, so besides the top, you know, we built a, an interior. He had an interior that was in his truck he gave us. And so we took that and modified it. So we have a bench on one side, a countertop on the other, sort of a kitchen at the back. I built a little fold down table off the swing out. And then we got a much bigger propane tank. So we have a 10 pound or 11 pound, I think it is, yeah, uh, that lasts for a couple of months. Um, and so we just sort of turned the truck from more of that weekend lightweight, you know, I'm going to go to Baja for four or five days type truck into something that we could stay in for, well, now a couple of years. And so, you know, we'll get uh, Airbnb on the trip if we're in a city or we'll pay for a campground, you know, once a month or something mm -hmm. to get showers. But in general, the goal is to not pay for camping and to just live in the truck. So it's for the living in it, it is tight and it is small, I think, for full time. But for what we're doing with that mix of occasionally getting Airbnbs or whatever. It's, yeah. It hasn't been 
It has been bad. There's been times where it's felt really small and tight. Yeah, I think its downfall is camping in a city is hard because, you know, we don't yeah. have a proper bathroom. We can't really take a shower unless you're outside. Yeah. Uh, and we can't even sleep without popping the top yeah. of the truck, really. You can try and fit yourself down below, but um, that's where, you know, the folks, our friends we've traveled with in a Sprinter van or whatever, a Sprinter van or all these other different options where yeah. you sleep inside. They just pull into a town and park and eh, who knows if they're actually in there or not, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so obviously, getting back to the conversation we had before I started recording about the Volkswagen Westphalia, uh, you can sleep down below or you can sleep with the top popped up. If you have the top popped up, it tells everybody that you're, you know, in there sleeping. Yep. Whether that's the local park ranger or, you know, (laughs) others. But um, what you're just telling me then is you really don't have a comfortable spot to sleep down below because that's full of gear or what have you. Yep. And so I've, you know, it's tough because the way the truck was before, it was obviously only below because there was no up area. I'm not a big fan of rooftop tents. I had one when sort of people first started importing them to the US and had it for a month and went, man, in wind, this is horrible. You put it away wet, you, you know, it's too much top heavy. So I kind of, I didn't want to go that way. And that's why I always slept inside. But I do think when we built the interior, we should have made a very easy to figure out uh, lower bed because the winds of Patagonia, I mean, there was a week in a row where it was so strong that it would have ripped the top clean off if we had popped the top. And then, you know, it, there was a motorcyclist, I think an American motorcyclist that passed away by being blown just clean off the, the highway. So it's serious, serious wind like we'd never dealt with. And those situations to have the option to sleep below or just to stealth camp, like you're saying, to go, you know, I'm just in the parking lot at the Grand Canyon. Like I've done that before where, you know, you're, you're passing through, there's no actual campsite. So you just park in the parking lot, put in the sunshades, laying back, no one knows. That's a nice option to have. Yeah. There's a couple of nights where you just tuck in and in a Walmart parking lot driving cross country and you say, you know what, it's not the worst thing ever. There's a bathroom inside and yep. You know, um, I want to get into your fears because, you know, again, most people would be paralyzed by fear and not even be able to begin this. And as you've said quite clearly, if, if you two can do it, anybody can do it. Now you've got some fabrication skills. You've taught some, you know, off-roading overland recovery kind of stuff. So you have, you've built up some skills along the way. Tell me about getting past your fears and have any of your fears been worst, worst case scenario has been realized and how'd you get past them if they have? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest fear and most general fear is probably just the fear of the unknown, you know, going on doing something like this, you're trying to set up a truck for something you've never done. You don't know, what do I need? I mean, I was overwhelmed by setting up a kitchen, you know, like, well, what should I bring in a, in a kitchen? I'm going to be living in this truck. You know, usually I'm camping for two weeks at the most. And so everything becomes this like, oh my gosh, it's all overwhelming. But I think as we jumped into it, we we were just able to take bite-sized pieces, you know, okay, this time we're, we're putting on this pop top. This is what we're doing. And, uh, you know, so many things we would YouTube to figure out how to do it. So I think we're comfortable with kind of learning on the fly. I mean, everything we've done, I feel like in the last yeah. three years, editing videos, like, okay, I'm going to Google how, or, you know, look on YouTube. How do I do this? How do I do that? And um, so a lot of, of learning, but yeah, the fear, it's a huge part of, of everything traveling, I think, you know, and, um, 
dealing yeah. with it. We, we luckily we have each other and we've learned that, you know, if you're afraid of something to talk about it because it will come out in other ways, anger, um, frustration, frustrations. Stuff, yeah. and, and so I think just learning to deal with it right in the moment is really yeah. helpful. Yeah, we've gotten a lot better at that. I mean, you know, you'll see we'll both pass a police officer on the side of the road, which, you know, in all these other countries, it's not reassuring. It's okay. Are they going to try and shake us down? Which only happened, uh, I think, three or four times. But yeah, it's still a huge, time, yeah. huge anxiety that, uh, that, that when you see a police car and it pulls out behind you. And so, you know, that can turn into both of us sort of getting on each other's nerves and snapping at each other. And so instead it's just so much, we've learned to kind of just all of our fears, just say them out loud, you know, um, and go, man, I'm freaking out over right now. That guy's following us, man. What is he going to do? If he's going to be the aggressive, I want money or the kind of, come on, hook me up. You know, we've had both. And of course, one's not a big deal. And the other, it had gotten more interesting a couple of times. And uh, so, so we just, yeah, I think dealing with the fear as we go, but I do think the main fear, is the fear of just going. And that's, we're always telling people just go. And we get emails about, okay, here's my truck. I've planned it out. People putting well over a hundred thousand dollars into their truck and you just go, don't do it. You know, unless you've just got that to burn by all means, go for it. But people get into analysis paralysis and they'll never leave. And we've met people in one guy, uh, Mike Miguel, actually we call him. Uh, he's from Australia. He was backpacking. And then a guy in Baja gave him a free pickup truck, an old Ford Ranger two-wheel drive, you know, stock basically with a shell on the back that leaked. And we kept running into him the whole trip. And we hung out with him in Patagonia. He did it in a free truck mm -hmm. with no supplies no nothing he just no did mechanical it. knowledge no mechanical nothing. knowledge yeah. nothing i mean he just figured it out it's like every time it broke he would just talk to a mechanic and he rewired the alternator like four times or something but it it ended up working and he did the whole trip cheaper than almost anybody i've met and then on the other side we met people in two hundred thousand dollar you know beautiful german unimog rigs and you know their number one cost is is food because they're eating out every night and going to the nicest restaurant so you can you can spend easily a hundred grand a year, or you can spend, you know, six grand and do the whole trip. And so I think all those fears, you just have to realize that they're going to keep you from doing the trip and you have to go. We never had, every time we had an ominous sort of, uh Oh, some guys are walking up to our truck and it's nighttime. It was always okay. It was always, Hey guys, we're the local community security and we're a little freaked out. Who are you? What are you doing here? And you're like, you're freaked out by us. Oh, okay. Well, uh, you know, we're just, we're from the United States. We're doing this, we're doing that. And they're smiling and they're like, oh, you scared us. You know, there's reports that there was a truck in the mountains and we're the kind of, you know, local security guys. And so, yeah, we were terrified and, and you realize they're, they were more scared of us. Right. Um, so it's always worked out in that, in that situation. Uh, we've had so many people come up to us and approach us and it's never been a negative thing ever. Yeah, so kindness of strangers. Uh, I was watching one of your videos and you're driving down a dirt road and a family passes you on their quad. So let's get to that. A family, mom, dad, you know, a couple mm -hmm. of kids, all, all piled on a quad, which you see in a lot of, you know, other countries, people all piled on. And, you know, you talk to them and you want to know where to camp and they invite you up to their ranch. Yeah. And you know, I think that's so unexpected. It is. I mean, it, it, it recalibrates, um, you know, years ago we did before this trip, one of our first trips together out of the country besides Baja was to Cuba and like walking down the streets sort of rubble looks like, you know, war zone in some ways falling apart. And 
by the time we left, we realized we'd recalibrated sort of what was scary because this is a nice street we're staying on. When we first showed up, we went, what have we done? We picked a bad place to stay. Should we even be here? Yeah, should we even be on this street? Like, oh, and just four days later, you're like, Manor Street's beautiful. This is great, you know, and they're doing the best they can with what they've got. And you've reset what is scary and what's not. So for us, we're always resetting. You know, anytime, every time we got to a border, every single border, we had some anxiety. What's the new country going to be like? Are all the rumors true? You know, you're sitting at the border of El Salvador or Nicaragua. And in the news at the time, things were not going well in, in some of these countries. And you're, you're terrified. And then you just go ahead and go for it talk about it with each other to keep the fear from being too much. And then every time it turned into one of our favorite places and we were just so comfortable there and every local, every time you just had a question, you went, you know, just stop on the side of the road and ask that person or that person. And people were so overly nice. It was, it was sort of shaking and you went, okay, I got to remember, don't trust. I mean, there's a, there's a deep gut. I think that you do trust in like, let's get out of here. You know, this is something's going on in this town or, you know, there's a big festival going on. Everyone's really drunk and a couple of guys are fighting. It's time to leave, you know? So you, you do trust your gut, but in a lot of ways, there's this other voice that you know is the paranoid voice, sort of that, that American that's used to everything looking a certain way and being sort of orderly. Ignore that voice. You got to let that one go. And that's, we were always, and we still are, I'm sure if we crossed the border tomorrow, we'd, we'd have a little anxiety and we'd be thinking, just relax and, you know, give it a chance. Do you find that, each country is afraid of their neighbor in some some way, like absolutely. Yeah. And, and are the Canadians afraid of us, or we're afraid of the Mexicans? The Mexicans are afraid of the you know folks from El Salvador, and it yeah. just works its way south. You know, the Venezuelans don't like the Colombians, or vice versa, and then you know whatever. Completely, I, I completely agree. Even in within one country, where are you guys headed? Oh, over there. Don't go over there. They're they're right. all thieves over there. And you get to the next town, and and there's not a person not smiling and waving at you as you drive by. And, and they'll tell you bad things about the town that you where'd just you came come from. from. Oh, how did you not get robbed over there? They're all scoundrels over there. And you're like, I, I got it. And so once you realize that, you don't want to discount people's warnings. But, you know, we, we got used to those type of warnings where you go, got it. Those those people, that, that really nice lady saying, don't go over there, uh, reminded me of the people in the U.S. saying, you'll die in Baja. And I knew that one wasn't true because we'd spent so much time. So we knew right off the bat to discount those warnings, but then you started to believe the locals ones because they're locals. Um, now there's different kinds of warnings too. Like if people go, yeah, don't go to those mountains. It's harvest season. You go, got it. You know, not going to go up in that area right now. Um, don't drive at night. Okay. Got it. Yep. You know. you know, very specific, you know, and then we saw all Mexico mainland don't drive at night. We had a couple of friends drive at night and it ended up being like, again, these, the town security folks, but they had, they got hassled and yelled at and pulled out of their car because the security people were like, you must be running drugs. There's an agreement. You don't drive in this state of Mexico at night. What are you doing? And so we knew not to do that. The moment we hit Guatemala, I asked a local we had become friends with and who was showing us cenotes and cliff jumps and all this amazing stuff. I said, can you drive at night here? And he's like, oh, are your headlights not working? I was yeah. like, no, no. I mean, is it safe to drive at night here? Is it okay? And he's like, well, it's yeah. more dangerous because it's dark. And I was yeah. like, okay, got it. There's no issues here with driving at night. And so you just ask around and kind of go, what's the etiquette? What do I do? What don't I do? And for the most part, there isn't any big rules. I don't think we yeah. learned. Yeah, it kind of brings back that little kid brain of like, you have to figure things out and learn by seeing or asking mm-hmm. or, you know, cause you're not just going to automatically, automatically know all of these, all this stuff. So it's kind of interesting that way to travel. Yeah, you hit a mountain town and instead of the last town where everyone was smiling and waving and talking to you, asking where you're from, saying, do you like their country? Do you like this? You know, you get to another town and everyone's looking at the ground, 
everyone looks pretty downtrodden and scared, scared of you, scared of each other. And you go, something's happened here. Um, doesn't mean it, that you're in danger, but you notice things that you wouldn't normally notice. Here at Slow Baja, we can't wait to drive our old Land Cruiser south of the border. When we go, we'll be going with Baja Bound Insurance. Their website's fast and easy to use. Check them out at BajaBound.com. That's BajaBound.com, serving Mexico travelers since 1994. Hey, Baja tourism is picking up, and our friends at the Animal Pad and Tap Act want to remind you when you're crossing the border, just say no to puppy peddlers. I know they're cute, but the sooner we can end the demand, we can end the supply. For more information, check out theanimalpad.org and Tap Act on Instagram and Facebook. I want to jump back to something that we kind of missed. We, we talked about when you departed, but I don't think you've recapped your uh, journey yet. Can you do that for me? Just talk about where you crossed. You said Tecate and then how long in Baja and where, where did it go from there? I've seen the map, but you know, the Slow Baja listeners haven't yet. Yeah, so we crossed in Tecate and, and that's where we used to cross when we go down to race and usually be heading to Ensenada, of course. And I just knew how busy it was and it wasn't, you know, we, our lives had been really fast, especially trying to prepare for the trip. Besides, they're already normally fast in just American life. But so we just wanted to get away. So we stayed and I, I wish I had a map in front of me to remember all the names of the mountains, but we stayed in the mountains of south of Tecate and just weaved our way south. And then um, I can't remember the, it's, it's named after like a, a person or something, but we went up this really tall mountain, sort of just to the east of San Quintin yeah. area there. And uh, we just stayed as high as we could until we knew we were getting to the beaches that were um, more remote and less people. And so I think at uh, Rosario or something like that, we, yeah. we then stuck to the beach heading south and left, uh, left Highway 1. And I think in total in, in Baja, we spent a month? About a month, yeah. And we, I mean, looking back, we easily would have been happy spending three months there or something. But yeah. I think knowing how much was ahead of us, it was like, this is here. This is always going to be here near where we live. Uh, I love Baja, but I'm excited to see mainland Mexico. I'm excited to see the mountains. I'm excited to see Guatemala. So I think we, we didn't feel rushed, but we, we would have, doing it again, we would have slowed down. And every, every beach camp that was amazing, we would have doubled our time there. Yeah, yeah, easy. Hey, so I want to uh, catch you because we, we haven't even, again, gotten out of Baja yet. There's a lot of uh, your trip <laughs> to discuss, um, but we're, we're 40 minutes in and... Um, I picked up something that I think Kelsey said in one of your videos about slowing down. Has that been a problem for the two of you to just slow down, relax, um, you know, chill yeah, I think where you are, be where you are when you're there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That was, I mean, it still is a struggle for us. Um, like Tim said, especially coming off of like this year of preparing and working really hard to make all of this happen. Uh, it was hard to slow down. And then I think for us feeling like, you know, we had been to Baja a few times and it still felt like vacation where you're like, okay, we have two weeks. We need to see all of this. We need to like, you know, spend two days here and then we're moving on. And so that was hard to break that habit of like, we don't have an end date. Like we don't have to be anywhere at any particular time. And I think part of it, like he said too, was the excitement of like, Ooh, what's next, what's coming up next. And so learning to enjoy where you're at and go, this is a really good spot. The next spot might also be really good, but like, let's enjoy this really good spot. Mm -hmm. um, 
yeah, it's, it's a struggle and something that we both kind of try to hold each other accountable to, to be like, you know, this is a good spot. We should maybe stay here. How do you yeah. feel about staying here and trying to just slow each other down a bit? Yeah, I think for sure these, these five, six day trips we always used to do, were always about doing the most, seeing the most um, and rushing for some reason. And so we now are immensely slower travelers than we used to be. And it's funny, we get on the highways here in the U.S. and I feel like, gosh, everyone's in such a rush. But I was absolutely one of those people. I was probably even more in a rush than your average person. So we've slowed down immensely, but we still want to even slow down more. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a hard thing for us. You know, we'll meet some travelers who get to a beach. Maybe they're from another country or something. And so they haven't sort of had that same American go, go, go as part of their psyche. And they'll just post up and, you know, we'll go off and we'll see 10 different things and we'll circle back to the town and they're still sitting there on the same patio <laughs> as they were when we left, you know, drinking, drinking cheap wine in Mendoza. And you're going, that's a, that, that looks pretty good too. We'll do that. And then we'll hang out with them for a week in one little town and go, we didn't move. You know, we just hung out and got to know one town, but that was really hard for us. So it's something we always have to remember to uh, keep in mind, I think. All right, so let's fast forward then. You're in Baja, you spent how long in, in Baja? About a month, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any highlights you wanna discuss? Which, which beaches, which places? I mean, I think our favorites, we couldn't find any names to them. And so it's kind of uh, what we would do is just avoid, you know, when, when the big cities were on the, you know, at least at the South, it was kind of, we could go to either side. It was all hot down there. Um, yeah. We would just kind of go to whatever side had the, the smaller towns or less towns or less paved roads. But I think Cabo Palma was beautiful down there. Yeah. That was amazing. Really? And there was a nice little, you know, sort of, a, I guess you'd call it a four by four road, not super hard, but it deterred 90% of people from taking it around mm -hmm. the point down there. Yeah. And that was just great. It really, was really hot though. Weltering hot, but the fish and everything you saw was is exactly what you hoped it would be, which was really cool. Um, but I think for me, that section sort of south of El Rosario down to, gosh, even all the way down to uh, Scorpion Bay or uh, Ignacio, yeah. right? Yeah. That whole area there, we were just trying to stick just to the beach and it was pretty doable yeah. and it was amazing. And, yeah. you know, we, we would air down the tires and find a really loose sand path down to the beach and then stay for a couple of days and just not see anybody. Uh, and other times we'd get to know like some fishermen who come out each morning at a different beach. And uh, it's just, th those were kind of my favorites. That, that simple to me, perfection. Yeah, <laughs> There's yeah. nothing extraordinary about any of these beaches except that they were yours. And that that's our favorite thing. Yeah, I think for me, like the San Ignacio Scorpion Bay was where at least the time of year we were at, the water had just, it was like a turning point, like the camp, north of that was a little cold and then you got there and it was like oh the water's like you could stay in the water and swim and it's yeah. beautiful and like the beaches are you know pretty empty because it takes you know surfers that know that area to actually come there yeah. um so the beaches were pretty awesome and the waves were awesome and the water was nice and yeah. that was just like prime right there that was a special day like a 30 mile drive down the coast along the beach and it went from yesterday, excuse me, yesterday's jump in the water was a little bit cold still, you know, San Diego kind of temperature feeling. I'm sure it was warmer, but still felt cold. And then the next day we're going, has this changed? Yeah, I think this has changed. <laughs> this is nice. So it, that was a nice shift. Yeah. All right. And now put it in four high and let's, let's just, <laughs> let's just fast forward a little bit through the, the other parts of the trip and let everybody know where you've been and, uh, and, and how it's gone. 
So we went to mainland Mexico, which was... Did you cross in from the ferry in La Paz? No, that's no. a long story. But that's in our, our mistakes video. Yeah. <laughs> so we we meant to. Yeah, we meant to. So we we had like got our passport stamped, but we didn't do the importation paperwork because going to Baja, I've never done it, and I was like, ah, we'll get it down in in La Paz. And so we were in La Paz, and they would not give it to us, and they said you have to go back to the border to get it. So we actually. Mm. Yep. Exactly. Okay. It's like 150 bucks that you put into a bank you know, the, the Mexican like federal bank and you get it back later, but um, we didn't do that step. And so they said, well, most people, when they screw this up, fly back to San Diego, walk across the border and get it. I'm like, ah, I'm not doing that. So we did a crazy uh, one and a half day drive from the tip of Baja all the way up on one cut across by Coco's corner and around San Felipe. And then I think, you know, we went to Mexicali to two different border crossings to get the paperwork done. And, um, and they had some trouble with, you know, with, with being okay with us clearly being in the country for a while, but now wanting the import permit and all that. So we were just going to cross back into the U.S. and cross back over. Uh, in the end, an old, older guy at the office said, no, no, this is no big deal. Here you go. And uh, we were all good to go and then headed to sort of El Golfo area and camped. And yeah. then we, we kept coming around the corner there. And then we wanted to go up into Copper Canyon. We had a friend, actually, the bike shop, mountain bike shop I go to in Phoenix, he's from a little town up in the mountains of, uh, is that Guerrero? I can't remember now. Something, yeah. I can't. But uh, so he was going to be visiting his town. So we went there and got to do like a mountain bike race and then like got to hang out. They had some big festival going on. So we kind of stuck to the mountains heading south and then we hit the beach again in Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. We're not fast forwarding enough, no. I'm sure. So we, we really enjoyed all of Mexico. The food was amazing. Food's that was amazing. the highlight, I think. For you sure, came, seeing it change. You came uh, north and on the east coast of the Baja Peninsula, past San Felipe, back up to Mexicali, and then you drove around the top of the Gulf of California and back down the east side, the mainland side of the Gulf, and then continued south, correct? Yeah, exactly. And then we started digging and sacking. My mind here. Yeah, we'd go inland. You know, there were some things we wanted to see here and there. So we would stick to the coast and then shoot way inland, come back over. You know, it was it was a trip to really see from the stereotypical Mexico that I, I know growing up in Southern California, you just picture it as being sort of desert Baja like, to being up at higher elevations than we've ever been on volcanoes, and then going to Mexico City and seeing this massive city. Uh, that had some of the nicest and the worst areas we'd seen of the trip. Um, it just, it was mind blowing. So uh, getting into Southern Mexico, places we'd never been before and being on the beaches there, meeting other travelers, meeting a guy uh, from Dana Point, you know, where, which is where I grew up and a uh, guy down there surfing and was down for three days surfing his tail off. And then you just realize that you're the one that, that he's envious of. You realize you're the one on the trip and it kind of, there's moments like that that hit you and go, wait, I'm the one doing the thing. I would normally be like, oh, I got to do that someday. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, we had, is that but, the beaches in Huatuco or in uh, Oaxaca? Where, where were you uh, meeting yes. Dana Point? Yep, Oaxaca. And I think it was San Francisco Beach, I think yeah. is what it was. Um, and yeah, it was amazing. And, you know, then we went into San Cristobal was a really cool little hipster town. And, you know, for I think $21 or something like that, we, this beautiful architect, uh, this, this beautiful house that an arch, famous architect or a wealthy architect in Mexico City had built. And he was renting out casitas on his villa, you know, to Airbnb so cheaply. We had our own fireplace and like view of the mountains. And we stayed in this little town of San Cristobal and just walked everywhere each day. And it's the perfect 
opposite of being in the truck and going, okay, we haven't had a shower in a month. We've done our laundry literally in the ocean in the salt water and like haggard, you know, then you get into this town and you're like, let's put more wood on the fire and hang out on the king size bed and, and enjoy a shower. And so those sort of um, vast contrasts, I think were, were one of our favorite things of the trip to be super remote and then to be full city life, you know, going out and like, you know what, I know I'm in Guatemala, but I want a hamburger. Let's, what's the best hamburger in town? What's, you know, we've eaten local for, for enough weeks. Let's try, you know, feeling like we're at home. So those contrasts were what made the trip yeah. pretty cool. So Krantz and Cristobal has been calling to me for 20 years. We, we took a little family trip when my kids were very young and uh, went to Baja and it didn't really work out. It was too hot for us. So we put the minivan on the ferry and went over to the mainland and drove, a, drove across from Mazatlan over the Devil's Backbone into Durango and then on mm -hmm. to Zacatecas. But on the ferry, we met an American a guy from a screenwriter from LA. And, and it's just stuck with me. He was going to San Cristobal, which, you know, I really wasn't on my radar. And he was talking about, yeah, you know, I think I can live on 150, 200 a month. It's just really cheap. It's really beautiful. And it, it just stuck with me. And, I, I, and I've gotten to Tuxla Gutierrez a couple of times, but never gotten to San Cristobal, which is only another 100 miles down the road. Oh, so close. <laughs> so close. Yeah, exactly. So cross over into Central America and take me all the way down. How did you get to South America? What was your method of, that's always the the problem where do you ship your, your yeah. vehicle there and, and let's let's jump into it foot on the floor now you know all of central we loved it at times it was super hot and i think the sort of highlights for most americans of costa rica and panama we loved them but those were our least favorite i would say because they're so americanized the prices were not far from being the u.s and and so for us we also recognize that who you meet determines what you think of a country so in guatemala one buddy who used to lead tours up into the Paten near Tikal and, and kind of out in the more remote jungle up there introduced me to one of the guides he used to use. And that guy became a good friend. And then he introduces us to Jose and Jose's got a, what, a $2 million house in, in, uh, in Antigua. And so we're crashing on his, in his guest room. I mean, it was just mind blowing. The whole trip was changed because we met these people that kept introducing us to other people and giving us GPS tracks to follow deep into the jungle. And we did all that remote jungle stuff we kind of wanted to do, seeing ruins that, you know, almost no one had seen that are still covered up, uh, seeing ones that had been, you had a hole bored into the side of them. They just look like a dirt mountain that, uh, you know, I guess you call it grave robbers had gone into and, and stolen everything out of. I mean, it's super neat. Uh, so that made Guatemala for us. Then El Salvador was great, you know, and you're kind of, you know, on your consciousness is MS-13 running the country or, you know, if you see a guy with face tattoos, don't, don't talk to him and never saw anybody, never saw anyone that even had really any tattoos and the place was great. And we sat on the beach eating pupusas and um, it was wonderful. And then we headed into Nicaragua and there a friend introduced us to someone who has a cigar factory. So we, we went and toured that. Amazing. Um, and then Costa Rica and Panama were both amazing too, but they were more restrictive. You know, you go to the beaches and there's a couple hundred uh, gringos from whatever country surfing. And it was awesome to, to interact and hang out, but you felt like you had gone from another world into more of like a tourist world. And so it was great, but, but just so different that we kind of longed for. And I think we we're also on a bit of a schedule at this, not a 
tight schedule, but we had yeah. a shipping date. So we, to ship around the Darien Gap, we put goose on uh, like in a cargo container. Yeah, in Cologne. And so we had that date that we needed to, you know, be at the port to put them in. Yep. And uh, so we were, we would have spent more time, I think, in those countries if sure. we had more time um, because they were great. And then once we got to Panama, it was mostly business and yep. uh, inspections that all, for your truck, yeah. going to see the police, they have to check everything. So it's a big, long drawn out process to get uh, vehicle shipped. So, um, I mean, the vehicle shipping from Cologne to Cartagena, which is very few miles, uh, costs more than shipping from Uruguay back to Texas at the end of the trip, uh, and which is, you know, 20 times uh, further. So pretty wild, but um, what's that beacon? So, so take me through South America. South America was great. In Colombia, we first we waited for our truck for, you know, it's Christmas time and the truck was supposed to arrive. The Dakar rally's going on south of us and I've been dying to get to see that. And uh, the ship's just stuck at sea, some paperwork issue, not without having anything to do with us, but just, uh, you know, some, some bureaucratic issue. So we waited weeks in Cartagena waiting on the truck. Once we got it, uh, it's too late to see Dakar. So we headed north to the northern tip of Colombia and then just started working our way south, you know meeting we met uh sort of more indigenous peoples up in the mountains there and you know people who just invited us into their homes or you know to camp on their sort of property not really into their homes but um it was amazing and loved colombia felt totally safe loved the food um you're meeting venezuelans everywhere because we couldn't go into venezuela and right now it's probably not the greatest time to go anyways but they're migrating to all these other countries so you're eating tons of venezuelan food meeting ton of Venezuelans on the road, which we fell in love with their food, and uh, it's awesome. Ecuador was great. I mean, hang on for a second there, Tim. So sorry. <laughs> you only hear about you only hear bad news about like Cartagena. You know, the drug culture, the the cocaine culture. They're going to come and get you. But that is like one of the greatest travel cities right now. And you got to spend a couple of weeks there just because your your truck was late. Yeah. I mean, Cartagena, besides maybe in the super touristy area, looking out for like a pickpocket or something, it felt very safe, very fancy, in mm -hmm. fact. And uh, there's I mean, a there were areas that you, we, you know, we would, <laughs> we walked everywhere yep. trying to save money. Uh, and you'd walk through some areas where you're like, oh, maybe it would have been better to get a yeah. taxi or take the bus or something. Yeah. But yeah. for the most part, it was pretty, pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. We, our research for each country was like watching bad old eighties movies. So we watched <laughs> Romancing the Stone. So I knew Cartagena was going to be awesome. Awesome. So you didn't do it by watching Anthony Bourdain videos and just saying, where were we going to eat? Oh, we definitely, oh, we did. definitely did. We watched all Anthony Bourdain on any country. In fact, we got used to now looking up the country on Netflix and Amazon and all these other ones to find out what food uh, shows were done in it. And then if we were in a town where there was one, you know, Buenos Aires, Buenos we, went Aires a, like, we went to oh, a New Orleans so fried chicken place in Buenos Aires because we're like, yeah, I saw it on, <laughs> the, show. on the show. See how it is. Awesome. So, Awesome. Hey, so foot on the floor now. So we're heading down through South America. Uh, give me some highlights. Yeah. So, I mean, Peru was amazing. Uh, some of the shelf roads, we were able to get super remote there and loved it. You know, Machu Picchu was good, but it is, it is Disneyland. You know, it's tens of thousands of people. The, the, you're sort of ashamed to be an American at times there because people are grumpy and yelling at each other and the tour staff and you go, let's get out of here. This is cool. It's something I want to see my whole life but not really a highlight. Then we went into Brazil, down into Bolivia, and you just get tired of that hot jungle. But Bolivia was one of those places that was different than any other country. It is stuck in time, uh, economically otherwise. But the, the, the geographic 
craziness. You know, we did the Bolivian death road and the jungles in the north where there's so many caiman alligators everywhere that, that you'd not get near any water without being very scared. And then down in the south on the Lagunas route and the big salt flats, we drove our truck to 18,660 feet. I mean, we could have gotten to 19. If I had another truck with me, we probably would have gone past a washout to get to the top of this, this mountain. But just mind-blowing changes to be freezing cold up on a mountain and then two days later be back north in Bolivia in the jungle sweating and it's 100 degrees, 100% humidity and, uh, and brutal. Um, I think so for me, wild. Bolivia was the, the country that felt the most third world. And, and we talked about fear earlier, but I think that one triggered the most fear, probably really, really pretty. But for some reason, wherever I was at, mm -hmm. just mentally, it was my least favorite, I think, as far yeah. as I think Bolivia is where it. we first started dealing with more protests. We yeah. saw some in Peru, but, you know, pulling up to a couple hundred people yelling and uh, tires on fire and, and just going, am I going to be the target of some of their frustrations or not? And they were always nice. People were like, you guys have enough food. We can't let you through, but you know, we'll make sure you have enough food and water while you wait and it'll be a couple of days. Uh, but it was a, it was a bit of a shock after traveling pretty free most of the trip to get used to that. Uh, from there, you know, we had to go to Guazu Falls and all that. And then on our minds was sort of Patagonia and, and all those areas. And so we headed South and zigzagging again, not really efficiently doing one side or the other kind of going where we felt like or where maybe we heard one of our friends because you're meeting people on a trip like this and you go, hey, so-and-so who we met in Panama is down here and so-and-so who we just met over in Brazil is, is in the next town. So you're kind of using those as excuses to, to head directions. Yeah. Did your backgrounds being with Overland Journal or, and teaching at uh, Overland Expo, did those connections come into play? Did people you know, do you have some off-roading, overlanding celebrity, so to speak, that, you know, you were able to, to trade on and, and um, have friends that are hooking you up, so to speak? No, I mean, I think because we knew some people who had traveled, we had people saying, like, I shared a Google map on my Facebook page long before we left saying, hey, what are your highlights? And so we had maybe more people than the average person putting pins on it. And in the end, we just found it wasn't even worth hunting for these pins. We liked, you know, you want to sort of find the view yourself. You want to find the beach in Baja yourself, and then it means more to you. So we maybe had more suggestions, uh, but no, not really. You know, throughout the trip, we decided to do these YouTube videos each week. So I would say of each week, you know, combined between the shooting and the editing, we were working in front of a computer almost full-time hours. So our trip was definitely different than a lot of the people we met who were like sort of in a gap year in college or just graduated or and were like, or, or retired yeah. and, and had all the money they needed. And were like, this is pure fun. I'm just doing this for fun. Ours was awesome and fun, but we, to, to make this last, hopefully we were trying to work as much as we could. Uh, and, and whether we were doing consulting work for people back home, whether we were teaching some other travelers we met along the way or a tour group, um, you know, we, we were able to teach his guides, you know, how better skills for winching and off-roading and all that sort of stuff. We had kind of viewed it not just as a trip, um, like, I, like a lot of people are, but more as a life change, you know, like we want to yeah. live our lives differently and this is a step towards that. Yeah. So we skipped stuff that I would say, you know, if we could have done it again, would we have gone to the Galapagos and, and maybe Easter Island? Yeah, but that was six months or almost a year's worth of budget to go and do these side trips. Right. So there's stuff we didn't do that maybe we would have, but we were really trying to get ourselves to almost break even with the work that we were doing as we're traveling. So 
It was fantastic. Uh, we did get recognized one time. We were the southern part of the trip and we were climbing uh, Fitzroy, yeah. Mount Fitzroy. And uh, a couple from South Korea goes, Tim, Kelsey. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> like, no way, what? Uh, so yeah, that was, that was our total celebrity for the whole trip was, yeah. uh, wow. was this really nice couple that we ended up actually shipping with them back to Texas in a container. Uh, you right didn't have to pandemic. big league anybody. You didn't have to say, hey, you know, really, I'm, I'm doing my thing right now. I, I can't give you an autograph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, I'm too busy. Excuse me. So you shipped the truck back and you flew home. When, when uh, about, give me the timeline on that. Yeah, so we were, you know, we're at the tip of the tip of the world down there in Ushuaia and stuff, and we hadn't heard anything about the pandemic yet. We're coming up through Chile and doing the Carretera Austral and all these sort of checkmark things we were dying to go do. And we were already over in sort of Mendoza area, I think. We started hearing about, you know, COVID. This is probably, what, January or something like yeah. that? Then February, we're hearing more about it. It seems to be getting more serious. Down in these countries at the time, there was almost zero cases. So it wasn't a concern there and travel wasn't limited. Then we're in Uruguay and it's seeming like it's getting more serious. So we decide along with this other couple that we met from South Korea to ship our trucks to Texas. And so we started that process. And then as we're doing the process, it's getting more serious. State Department sending out emails saying, get home now if you're an American. So we actually, you know, really only cut the trip short. I mean, it, in one sense, we may have decided to go up through Brazil more and go up into like Guiana or something like that. But we were, we were kind of deciding one way or the other. It was about time to come home and work and, and save up some more anyways. So the pandemic really maybe pushed our trip short by two or three weeks. Yeah, we had, we had flights and we just pushed them up about two weeks yeah. once so we, we heard flew that in, like, oh, we need to get out. Yeah, we, I think we flew in like March 16th or yeah. 17th. Everyone's telling us through email, like if there's toilet paper down there, bring it home, fill your bags. You know, we're going, what is going on? So we flew into Miami and, uh, you know, we had to fly to from, from Buenos Aires. We flew to Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo, Sao Paulo to Miami, Miami to Los Angeles. No one ever asked us anything or checked us. You know, no one was really even wearing masks at this point yet, except for I think TSA was. Yeah. And, we got into LA and got to my parents' house in San Clemente and uh, just hunkered down. And we went into, you know, like Ralph's and, and uh, we're just in awe of the food. Everyone was saying how the stores were barren and compared to what we'd seen on the trip, it was like a culture shock to come home and see a pyramid of perfect Roma tomatoes, you know, four feet high. And we're just going, we'll be fine. Oh, it's so amazing. None of them are moldy. And like, there's more than five of them, you know? So it was, yeah, it was as shocking, isn't it? Once you've done a little traveling. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we felt like everything was so plentiful um, that it was, it was a luxury to be home. And compared to our friends who got stuck, we have some friends in Honduras, they're still there. Uh, we have another friend in Syria who's stuck there. So, I mean, we, when this happened, we got home and our life was pretty okay, pretty great. Um, compared to our friends who were locked down in a country, not able to enjoy the country or explore it. We had another friend who's a quadriplegic who was doing uh, travel in a van and he was stuck in Buenos Aires and he couldn't leave his Airbnb. And like, you know, his, his brother would go get food and bring it back. And they were stuck for six months or something yeah. when they were supposed to be on this magical trip, sitting in an Airbnb. Our other friends were in a field in Honduras and the government officials would bring them food and they're still stuck in, now they're in a hotel, I think. But yeah, so we when super you think lucked about out how it could have been, we super lucked out. Uh, when the truck arrived in Texas, we couldn't go get it. So we had to pay for it to get shipped to us. So it was an extra cost. All the events we were going to work and had lined up were canceled. And then I fell back on a job from like 12 years, 10 years ago, something yeah. like that. 
that I used to do where you map trails for the Department of the Interior. And, um, you know, that's what we've been doing since. And it's just, we're really lucky that we found some sort of work uh, to kind of keep us afloat and keep us going. Yeah, so uh, just a couple minutes on that. The work that you did while you were away, that's something that you were pretty um, upfront about on your, your video that you were on your YouTube videos, Dirt, Dirt Sunrise YouTube channel, um, that you two were trying to uh, do everything you could, um, any, anything you can to, to earn some income while you're away, make this lifestyle actually work. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, we initially started doing the videos just because I wanted to, you know, back when I used to do side trips, we'd write like a blog and post a few photos here and there just to remember the trips. For this, we decided we'd try doing video and it was mainly for, you know, family and friends and just to check it out. But we sort of had that inkling, that thought of, but what if, what if this was our life? What if, uh, this might be a California listener only reference, but what if we were the Hulhauser of sort of the world traveling around and looking at stuff and going, look at this and look at that, you know, and, and that, what, that could be, we could create our own sort of job in that sense. So we knew, and we have throughout the whole trip, we've flown home three times during the trip to work one of the Overland Expos, some Overland rallies and some military training. And that kept us afloat on the trip, but the videos increasingly help us. You know, I wouldn't say it's, it's close a, to It's being, a slow burn, but it's you know, a slow it's, burn, but. it's, uh, yeah, we, we're going for the long game on that one, I think, yeah. but it, it does definitely, you know, fill the gas tank. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of the thing is once we realized that people were excited about the trip and, you know, somebody would send us 10 bucks and go, Hey, have a beer on me. And we're like, Hey, that helps. That's like another day's worth of travel. And so the trip went from, this was initially a year trip, you know, and then it was two years and now, yeah, we're home, but we're still living in the truck. And so to us, the trip's really still going and we're just working and saving until the world reopens. And then I don't really know where we're going to go next, but uh, we're definitely going somewhere. Definitely going somewhere. <laughs> and so the, did that actually work? Did people actually buy you a taco and, and buy you a beer? Because I, I love that idea. Yeah, it was so cool. You know, people would say like, I, we have one buddy who goes, all right, I'm putting 20 bucks in there, but no food and no fuel. You have to buy booze or something, <laughs> you know, some joke or something like that. We had, yeah, people, mostly people we've never met just saying, here, here's five bucks. I, you know, have five years till retirement, but I'm loving watching it because it's keeping me excited until I go. So here's, here's a few bucks. And we know how important that aspect I think was for us before we left yeah. um, of watching kind of other people's adventures on YouTube and, yeah. and looking and going, Oh, we could do this. Look where they are. It's so yeah. exciting. And like, it keeps that inspiration going. And so it's really cool to be on the other side of that kind of giving that to, yeah. to people as well. I think, you know, if you're working a normal job right now, like we were, and the people at your office may not be the ones who inspire you to keep doing it. They're the ones that might say you're crazy or it'll never work or you'll go broke. But for us, when we were in that environment, watching YouTube videos of people sailing around the world, people driving around the world, ride motorcycles, whatever it was, we kept looking at that going, yeah, but they're doing it. Look at, but they're doing it. So maybe it's not that crazy or maybe it is doable. And so uh, it's kind of cool that we can be that for a few folks. And yeah, like Kelsey said, slowly growing, but um, we're, we were amazed. We opened up a Patreon account halfway through the trip and somebody I'd never met said, you know, years ago I was doing an off-road trip and you sent me, you'd made, you made a bunch of maps and sent me like a giant paragraph of info for my trip and it really helped me out. And so I've been watching you guys. Here's like $2 a month or something. And I went, Oh my God, we're <laughs> doing it. We're yeah. doing it. It's $2. But it, you know, it doesn't matter how much it's more of the proof of concept. And as long as it's always going the right direction, I think we know there's a chance. So. 
Well, let's end it there. Tell us how people can be in touch with you, stay in touch with you, with you, follow your adventures, and uh, hopefully kick that two bucks a month into your um, uh, booze or gas. I mean, you're you're traveling in a F FJ eighty. I can't say the Z part. <laughs> those are not sippers. Those those drink. No. Those yeah, ga- gas is our number one, or fuel, I should say, is our number one expense. But uh, yeah, we chose that name, Dirt Sunrise, uh, for a lot of reasons. But in one, because it, nothing else really comes up under it. So we have the website, Dirt Sunrise, Instagram, and then the YouTube account. And we try to post something every single week. So we're working during the day to, to be on the trail. But then at night, we're, uh, we're making and editing videos and uh, getting them up there for folks. And they'll always be free. Uh, we're not trying to charge folks. And if people are saving for their adventure, keep saving. But if uh, folks have a couple extra bucks and feel like they appreciate what we're doing, that's awesome too. Yeah. So you can find everything just dirtsunrise.com. And then that links back to all social media and everything yep. we have. So. Well, I really appreciate you spending some time with Slow Baja. We'll get those links up on the show notes and uh, look forward to following your adventure. And do you have an, uh, an idea? Are you forming a plan on where to go next? We are. It'll, I think the world's going to tell us where we're going next because we've got ideas and we've met friends from a lot of neat continents and we're kind of itching to go. But uh, I think it's going to depend what opens uh, yeah. first and uh, what we can make happen. But yeah, we're excited to, to head out again. So. Well, Tim and Kelsey from Dirt Sunrise, I really wish you well and look forward to following you. And thanks for spending some time with Slow Baja. Have a great yeah. day. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Cheers. Hey, you guys know what to do. Please help us by subscribing, sharing, rating, all that stuff. And if you missed anything, you can find the links in the show notes at slowbaja.com. I'll be back before you know it. And if you want to receive notices on new episodes, please follow Slow Baja on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for you old folks.